Welcome to the Capital Insight Podcast with Jenny Casson and Michelle Timish, two capital raising experts on a mission to demystify and equify the world of investment for entrepreneurs and investors alike. Listen in as they sit down with fundraising veterans and share with you the success stories and cautionary tales of outside the box capital raising. This is Capital Insight. Hello, and welcome to the Capital Insight Podcast. I'm Jenny Casson, and I'm here with my colleague, Michelle Timish, and we're so excited to talk with Laura Oldaney, who is an investor. And we want to hear all about your journey, Laura, on how you became an investor. What is your story of how you got involved in investing? <laughs> well, it started probably in an unlikely place. <laughs> I think if I track it back, it started in a garden. <laughs> And just getting interested in gardening and sustainability, and then um, finding my way to permaculture. I, you know, I grew up in, I'm not, I'll, we'll start right here with, I'm a non-accredited investor. So I I am not a, a person of significant means, but I still want to align my money with my values. And I, I grew up in a family that, you know, highly valued volunteering and service. And I came out with also, you know, a sense of the importance of sustainability, you know, from my childhood and, but never really thought about it with money in my early adult years. And, but I did once I started um, investing, you know, through my employer in retirement accounts, move my money into those socially responsible and ESG or environmental social governance funds that were available through those those accounts. But it still wasn't enough. It didn't. It felt like my my investments were working in opposition to the volunteer work I was doing and what I felt was important to me and what I wanted to see in the world. And so through that interest in gardening, which led to permaculture, which permaculture is a design science that looks to nature and is closed, it's closed loop, no waste, abundant system as the model. It's about looking at relationships and synergies. And most people like me come to permaculture through the landscape, through gardening, but permaculture can be applied to all aspects of our lives, to our inner landscape, to the built environment, among other things, and our the economics and finances. And so after I went through and did my full permaculture design course, I really got more intentional and felt even more uncomfortable with what my money was supporting in the stock market. But I didn't have great ideas about what to do with it still after that. So by this time, I was 40 years old. So this is about 10 years ago, a little over that. I'm now 50. And a few years after that, I was in San Francisco and I, I had learned through gardening and permaculture about slow food, you know, this whole idea of recognizing the hard work and value that farmers provide and wanting to pay them, you know, a fair price for their products and just valuing our local food sheds. And so through slow food, I had heard about slow money. And Woody, what Woody Tash started and this idea of how do we get capital, investment capital to our 
farmers, our local food producers, because they can't afford the interest rates that banks are charging once they can even make it through the hurdles of the approval process um, with those financial institutions. So I, I knew about slow money. I knew there were some interesting things happening where people were using their own money to invest in their local local food shed, which was obviously some one of the areas that was really important to me. So when I was in San Francisco, there happened to be a local um, slow money meeting. And that was the first time I ever heard anyone talk about self-directed retirement accounts. And that was the vehicle that many of the members of the slow money community were using to be able to invest in their local food shed. Because so many of us middle class Americans, our wealth, to the extent that we have more money to invest, is in our retirement accounts. And usually those are with mainstream brokerages or our employers. But there's also this option to either open a new self-directed IRA or if you've stopped working for an employer but still have the account, you can transfer that account into a self-directed version. And these are certainly more hands-on and there's a, there is a learning curve, but it was the vehicle I needed to hear about to realize that... Um, I could get my money, most of it out of the stock market and do this. And so th then it was just a matter of getting online, you know, learning about those accounts, the self-directed accounts, finding other people who were using them and, and then trying to find other people who were using them to do this more values aligned investing like I'm trying to do. Most of what I first saw, the, to the extent that people have these self-directed self accounts, retirement accounts, and it's only about 4% of all retirement accounts in the United States, most people are using them to invest in real estate. Um, and which is also certainly a possibility for the more values aligned um, in investing that I want to do. There are very socially conscious ways we can invest in real estate and farmland. I just wasn't ready to step up and be a landlord or take that on. So I wanted to learn about other things. So I knew about SOCAP, you know, that event. And I never attended, but I would go on the SOCAP website and look at who was speaking and, and what kinds of projects were they involved with. Uh, then the Green Money Journal, I, I received that email. So it was just finding all of these different information streams, the Lyft Economy monthly email, where they were referencing every now and again potential investments that were open to a non-accredited individual investor like myself. And of course, crowdfunding, I knew about crowdfunding. And once I did take the leap, the very first investment I made was on the WeFunder platform because it was so easy to access and maneuver and screen for investments that aligned with my values. So I'll stop for there, there for the moment. <laughs> wow. Such a, such an amazing journey. And I, I'm so impressed with how, how you have become so values aligned and intentional around this. And obviously you're a lifelong learner, somebody who isn't satisfied to not know information. That's great. How do you put all of that together in a process that um, evaluates those opportunities and helps you make those decisions? 
So that is something that is a weaker link in my chain. I do not have a background in finance or business. And I actually have quite a distaste for looking at numbers and spreadsheets. They make me dizzy. <laughs> so my one of my, my main investing strategy is to mitigate risk by making many smaller investments. And in fact, when when you set up a self-directed IRA, there are two two way, ways pretty much you can do it. One is where you set it up where it's completely managed by the custodian company and you pay them a fee every time you make an investment. And I knew that with the way I wanted to invest, that would be very cost prohibitive. And so the second way you can do it is to set up an LLC that operates under the umbrella of your self-directed IRA. And that's what I did. And so I have checkbook control and that allows me to make many smaller investments without having to pay those, those fees each time. So it is cumbersome. It's a learning curve. And it was especially challenging at the beginning, because like I said, I had amassed, you know, not millions of dollars, but I had amassed some money in a an employer-based retirement account. So I started with this lump sum sitting in the account and it was like, it was now, okay, where, where are the investing opportunities? How am I going to get this out there? And it's still, you know, a matter of prioritizing the time now and then to go through, okay, these are the investing opportunities that are available to me. This is the form I need to fill out, or these are the forms I need to fill out. This is the process. And there's still sometimes a good bit of back and forth with companies because they're not used to working with self-directed IRAs or people who are investing through a one-person LLC like myself. And so that's not exactly the answer to your question, and I'll get to that, but I think that's, you know, from an entrepreneur side or just trying to understand that what an investor is working through, that that's helpful information. So my process um, one resource that I didn't mention that's been very helpful to me is the Next Egg, which I, I, you're both familiar with. And it's a wonderful group of people like myself going through this self-directed retirement account journey and wanting to align our investing with our values, learning together. It's an online collaborative community. There's a monthly fee of $10 a month, but I believe it can be waived if um, people don't have the financial means to, to afford that. And there is a really rich database available to us of recorded educational sessions that the Next Egg put together. It's a forum where we can ask questions and learn together. They're collecting the different investing opportunities. So it that is a very helpful space. Another space is... Um, Angela Barbash at Revalue, a wonderful socially conscious financial advisor, is offering a cohort, a learning cohort that she's running once a year or so. And while you're participating in that cohort, you have access to their information database and you can be going through and they're always assessing 
investing opportunities and, you know, sharing that information with their clients. So that is a very helpful resource. As And one other thing I've done is there is a Facebook group called Socially Conscious FIRE. So FIRE is an acronym, acronym that stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And it's not the main focus of socially conscious fire, how to invest outside of the stock market, but it does come up from time to time. And there are some very um, interesting members out there who are investing in cooperatives, who, um, you know, are very much more knowledgeable about um, renewable energies and other things. And so the information sharing that goes on in, in that group is also very helpful. So it's basically filtering it through other sources that feel more knowledgeable to me or Amy, Amy Cortez's Loca Vesting website, which is still up in the early days. That was very helpful to me. But there's, I would love to see more and more easier ways to access um, information about regenerative and alternative investments that are available to non-accredited investors like myself. Oh my gosh, Laura, thank you so much for sharing all those resources. It's so exciting to me because I've been uh, in this world now for probably over 15 years. And just knowing that all these resources have, have evolved is just so exciting because when we first started doing this work, there was almost nothing out there. So, um, and I will mention, uh, we do have a group called Angels of Main Street, which is another group that is open to anyone to come in and learn about direct investing and socially conscious businesses. And sometimes they'll form um, due diligence groups around certain investments. So yes, there's tons of amazing resources. So what I want to ask you is for a specific example of a company that you found out about that was, you know, really did things right, really attracted you as, you know, being values aligned for you. Just give us an example of one of your investments that you felt really good about, because it's, it's super helpful for the entrepreneurs listening to hear, you know, what does make an investment attractive to an investor like you? Well, okay, so I'll speak more, I guess, from the crowdfunding startup side, because that's probably more where your audience is. So let's go back to WeFunder, those very first investments I made. There were four of them that round, and one of them was in the Native American Natural Foods Company, which is right up my alley because it combines the food shed with indigenous populations. There's a social justice and a regenerative agriculture component um, combined in that. Uh, also, in that first round, there, there's a project, I forget the name of it, but there was a lower income neighborhood in Chicago that was raising, re requesting funds for a loan. It was the only loan investment I made that round. The others were all equity. And the money was going to be used to, or is being used to revitalize this neighborhood. And so you know, again, the social justice, the revitalizing a neighborhood, that was very compelling to me. And I liked that it was in a loan. So it gave me a little diversity beyond equity. Also in that round was a company called Ganaz, which is at that time, it was founded, I'm trying to remember exactly, it was definitely, it was, the, I think there were two co-founders. One is a woman who's still with the company 
Um, and the other, I think, was a, a, um, a man from maybe India. And, but the, the focus of the company is on facilitating communications between primarily migrant farm workers and farm managers or farm owners to, you know, the, the farm workers with the farm owners to facilitate communication between that and make that um, improve it. And so again, it, you know, social justice combined with some kind of agricultural component. And I've, they've since gone on this company to add a financial literacy component to their work with those migrant workers, which, you know, for me as a socially conscious wealth coach, just makes my heart sing. And then the fourth investment that round was in a company that I think they've changed their name since then, but it either is or was Trade Fox. And it's a scrap metal company that again is facilitating, I think, the connection between scrap resources, the people who have scrap, and then programs or projects that can use it or recycle it. So for me, all of my investing is very much social and climate justice oriented. And, and do you, when you're evaluating those, kind of going back a little bit to, to Jenny's question, did those four that you selected, did they do something that made you feel like they were going to be good stewards of your money? Or how did you determine to invest in those particular companies? Those, that was very much, especially at that early stage, more that they felt aligned with my mm -hmm. values. The, I mean, the fact that they had been screened by WeFunder, you know, I realize these are investments. I can lose my money. All of this is investing, but that did help too. But at that early stage, again, you know, making those smaller investments, it was more about, did I feel like the um, the company was aligned with my values. So on an opposite note, and I don't know that I'll have a good, a, the type of answer you'll exactly want to get, because again, I look to others primarily to filter these investing opportunities for me somehow, because I'm not going to pour through all the financials. I, it's Greek to me, a lot of it. But there was one investment I did make locally where I made a bad choice. And it was it came through a crowdfunding platform that does not do as much of the due diligence. But it was the first one I'd ever seen in my own city of St. Petersburg, Florida. And it was for a hydroponic hops farm. And I did go out and visit the site and I spoke with the guy who was running it. And if I had not let myself get so excited about the fact that it was connecting to our burgeoning crafts beer industry had an agricultural component, I would have slowed down to ask many harder questions and I didn't. Uh, and within a year that business was belly up. I just happened to get saved on that one because I had invested through an LLC and for whatever reason, that money had gotten held up in escrow. And so I got all of my money back, but a friend who went along that journey with me ended up losing the money um, invested. So I, it's definitely an area where I can improve on. For me, it's less 
about the financials because I just don't have the due diligence knowledge and more about where am I hearing about this investment from? I do have a financial advisor friend who, you know, I don't want to overwhelm this person, but has offered, you know, when you hear about something, Laura, feel free to share it with me. And so I do do that from time to time, but me personally, it's not the financials that are going to bring me, you know, get me to, make the decision myself. It's going to be more along, does this feel like, does it feel, does it seem like it's got the social justice or the climate resilience angle that I need to be, I want to be putting my money behind. Great. It's really wonderful that you have found advisors like Angela and others who are willing to talk to their clients uh, about direct investing. We're noticing that trend it, uh, more recently. That's that's becoming a thing, and it's super exciting because it's it's becoming known that public markets are not the only way to invest, and and you're. If you're in the public market exclusively, in some sense, all of your investments are tied to that, to the public markets. When one thing goes, they all go kind of. Is there something that um, you sort of turns you off for lack of a better term when you're looking some advice? I'm thinking along the lines of advising entrepreneurs who are looking for capital. Is there something that you've noticed that entrepreneurs do that you know, could help them when they are looking for investors. Oftentimes they find it difficult to put themselves in the shoes of an investor. And I'm just wondering if you have any insight into advice to entrepreneurs uh, not to do primarily when they're looking for investors, what are they getting wrong? Well, I will say that I'm probably a less helpful guest to answer that just because I don't have entrepreneurs Reaching out to me, you know, again, for someone like myself, you know, what's going to less about what's going to repel me and more about what's going to draw me in is just really making that case for how this investing opportunity is a part of the solution and not exacerbating the problem. I love that. And you know, you, you corrected yourself when you said feel, you change feel to think, but I, I think we should stick with feel because let's be honest, you know, decisions about investing are a lot about feelings. And that's not only true for you as more of like a non-professional investor, but it is true for all investors. Feelings are a big part of it. And I think we need to be, you know, super honest about that. And that's fine. And I think um, one thing that I heard you say that I think is really important is how do you hear about the investment? Um, if it comes from a source that you trust, that you resonate with, it sounds like that is really important. So I think for entrepreneurs, something to think about is, are you connected with organizations that are involved in this space and are trusted and known to be, you know, making those connections with investors in a way that people find trustworthy. So I just want to ask one more question. And that is, you know, any advice that you would have for 
others who like you would, you know, are frustrated with uh, their portfolio when it's all in the public markets, like what would be a good first step? Because it can't, you've done a lot. Um, not everyone has as much time to uh, do as much as you have, but what would be a good first step for people who want to dip a toe in this, in, in investing the way you do? Well, even before investing, and I will get to investing, but a, a great initial step is just to look at banking. Where are you banking? What is your money support when it's not sleeping at the bank? Because it doesn't sleep there when you deposit it. You know, maybe you're not ready to go out and invest, but if you put your money in a community development financial institution, when, well, they're not all banks, the, Community development financial institutions, by their very definition, have to bring capital to underserved communities. And so put your money to work at the Native American Bank or the Self-Reliance Credit Union, where then it's going to, you know, you'll be able to access it. You can have a checking account. You can do your, your banking there. And then it's going to be lent out for, for to small businesses in those communities or for people who would really have a hard time accessing a, you know, a mortgage from a major commercial bank to, to be more likely to qualify for a mortgage. So, and that's just one aspect of socially responsible banking, but I would start with banking as just a, a first step in terms of investing. Uh, you, you know, I look at worthy bonds as, you know, Sally outlaws work there is a really easy way if you're not ready to just put it put an investment in one company worthy bonds is you know making loans to small businesses and i th believe is still offering a 5% rate of return to investors so it's not super huge but it's not in insignificant return so worthy is a good place to start and there are other um, smaller investments like that. And I actually have put together a beginner's guide to regenerative investing. It's a pay what you want product. And I walk through, a, you know, all of these investments that I know of that are open to non-accredited investors to, for people, you know, so that's a, a tool that people can think about. And then of course, you know, your website, um, it's crowdfund main street, I believe. And, then, you know, WeFunder or some of these other por portals, you can make an investment. Generally, it varies, but for many of them, the minimum investment can be $100. So just, you know, find a company on there that resonates with you and take a chance. That's really a great tip. And I, I, I think you're right. Um, as far as using the platforms like Crowdfund Main Street to practice, uh, reviewing offerings uh, because of the high regulatory nature of investment crowdfunding, it's quite easy to get a lot of information, even if you're not someone who's going to read all the details of the financial projections and things like that. You can still really get a sense of what the company is all about, who the founders are. It's a great way to do a no risk sort of practice, uh, invite your friends and people that you trust to help you figure out whether or not this would be a fit for you. So I think that's really great advice. Thank you so much for all this wonderful information. It's been such a pleasure. You're very yeah. welcome. Thank you so much, Laura. And we will share links to, you know, some of the resources that you mentioned in the show notes. And we hope everyone will be inspired by your example. Thank you, Laura.
You're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me on. It's been a pleasure to chat with you about this. Do you have any questions for our securities lawyers and capital raising experts? Call the podcast hotline and leave us a message at 866-552-7726, extension 5. You can also send other inquiries to podcast at jennycasson.com. We'd love to hear from you. Music for the Capital Inside podcast is still searching by Damon Criswell via Audio Hero. Thank you for listening to Capital Insight with Jenny Casson and Michelle Timish. Until next time.